welcome to the Woods Edge Young Adult Podcast. We hope this message helps you see Jesus and yourself a little more clearly. Awesome, guys. So, my good friend Chris asked me to teach about the Old Testament. And if you don't know me, one of my favorite things happens to be the Old Testament. Probably because, Chris probably knows this, because I walk in his office all the time, and I just go on little rants. And he lets me, because he loves me. Thank you, Chris. So I walk in there, and he's got this little baby dry erase board, and I just write stuff all over it, and have a good time, and he listens to my new ideas, things that I'm learning, and it's, it's a gift. So thank you for that, Chris. And man, I am, I am just honored to be able to share with you some of the things that I know about what God has been teaching me and, and how I've been able to grow with him. I've been a Christian for, it'll be eight years in January. And so I'm 28, and I accepted Jesus when I was 20. Didn't grow up in the church at all. And when I, when I started following Jesus, I ended up coming to this church, and I heard Jeff Wells talk about the Bible like nobody had ever heard talk about the Bible before. I don't know if you've heard, if many of you have heard Jeff Wells talk about it. But he told stories about going in his basement at Rice University and just like being hunkered down. He'd read every morning, eat his bowl of cereal before he goes on his long runs and marathons. And he was memorizing paragraphs of scriptures with one of his friends. And I thought to myself, I want to be like that. I want to be like Jeff. That guy looks like he loves Jesus. I want to be like him. And so I started reading every single day. And I've read this book for every day for eight years. And it's been, it's been life to me. In fact, I think apart from having this book, I would be absolutely lost, gone, back into the world, the things that I was addicted to that I couldn't have got out of those places in my own strength, I would have gone straight back. But this has been my compass to keep me um, keep me going north, but really what it is, is it's kept me focused on Jesus. It's kept me focused on the one who loves me. The focus, focused on the one that I get to love back in return. There's nothing about, like, just reading the scriptures, right? The, re- the reason why we read the scriptures is to know Jesus. Did you know that? Like, I didn't study the scriptures today just to preach a sermon. Right? I got to study the scriptures and pour my affections out on Jesus at the same time and delight in the word that he's given me. What a gift. It's not just a, man, what a shame it would be. It's like, well, I got to go teach again tonight. (laughs) But no, it's not about that. I get get to talk about the one whom I love. I get to talk about the one who loves you. I'm his beloved, and so are you. Isn't that a gift? Oh, man. So, one of my favorite Bible verses in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. I'm going to write some of these down. I'm going to write a lot of verses down today. These verses have been impactful to me. Um, and so, do, do with them as you please. Um, but I think it may be helpful um, just that I at least write down like where they are. And if they stand out to you, then write it down. And I encourage you to memorize it. Memorize it. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, 
Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast, let him who boasts boast in this. That he understands and he knows me. For I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in all of the earth. What do I have to boast in? Nothing other than knowing God. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing that I've done. Nothing that I have. Nothing that I will have. But only knowing who He is. That's it. Did you know that that's why you're alive? Your one main purpose in life, we all get to share together. You don't have to wake up tomorrow and think about it. It's like, what do I do? What do I do with my life? It's know Him. Know him. If it, if it doesn't help you know him, then go the other direction. That's it. One reason. Know God, and that's it. Know him. If you read the Bible, it's to know him. If you read the scriptures, it's to know him. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. I learned that from Jeff Wolf. He quoted it one day, and I wrote it down. What a gift. So we're going to talk about some of the Old Testament that we already talked about some of it. Lee opened up last week and he was speaking on Genesis, creation and the fall. And great job, Lee. It was wonderful. I listened to it. Thank you for doing that. And the reason why we're going through this Old Testament series is so that you can see that the entire Bible is one story. It's not, if, you, if you're here today, it's your first time, or you've never read the Bible before, never read the Old Testament, that's okay. So glad you're here. So don't, uh, don't be freaked out by me. Um, I'm just, I just really love the scriptures. I really love the Bible. Because I find Jesus in them. The, uh, what Lee was talking about last week, without understanding that God is the creator of the universe, you will never figure out who you are. If he created everything, and that means that he created you, and you're one of his creatures, it means you have a reason for existing. If there is no God, there is no purpose in your life. But praise God, there is. And when he created you, what Lee said is that he created you with value. He made you in his image, and then he actually gave you a purpose. Gave you a purpose to know God. And to serve him, to love him, to be with him. Unfortunately, what took place after that was what? The fall. And so the fall takes place. Humanity that was designed to be in perfect relationship with God was removed from that perfect relationship with him. And ever since that, the world has been a very broken place. Right? I go evangelize weekly and something that I always ask people is, do you think the world is a broken place? I've had two people in the last almost two years tell me no. Two people. And I was able to prove it to them rather quickly that the world was a broken place. Right? So I'll ask you, like, hey, how old are you? And they're like, well, I'm 18, 20, 22, 28, 30, whatever. How old are you? And they're like, oh, I'm this age. I'm like, man, you've lived long enough. I don't care what age they say. You've lived long enough to know that the world you live in is a broken place. What do you think makes the world broken? And you know what they say most of the time, 80%, they say people. People make the world a broken place. I'm like, whoa. What do, you think, what do you think people do that makes the world broken? And they say, lie. 
They're greedy. They're corrupted. Racism, rape, murder, death, cancer, disease, war. I mean, think all kinds of things, right? And we all we do these things. Why? Because humans decided to rebel against the holy God who created them. They left what they were created for, decided to go and do things their own way, which is called sin. When you do things not God's way, but your way, you were designed for something. And then they began to live in sin. And so the world becomes broken, humans become broken. But there's hope, isn't there? Lee didn't just leave you in, the, in this dark place, but he talked to you about hope. But hey, hear me, if you don't understand the darkness, you can't understand the good news. Right? That's why, that's why we talk about it. It's very important that you understand because if there's no darkness, if there's no sin, then Jesus doesn't have to die. I don't want to get all the way there yet, right? But if, if there's no sin, Jesus doesn't have to die. And he wouldn't. Why would he do that? But he doesn't leave you there. Genesis 3.15 says something on the lines of... Or should we just read it for what it says? Let's do that. Because the word of God is good. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Enmity between you and the woman, he will bruise your head. Satan, serpent, you will bruise his heel. So there's going to be one. There's another version. It's called the Net Bible. It says that you will attack his head, and you will attack his heel. I like that translation better because I think it gives the emphasis of what it's speaking of. But when the serpent strikes, it's saying it's going to strike the man on the foot. It's going to be a death blow to a death blow. The man is going to strike the serpent in the head and he is going to die. The man is going to die. So there's going to be a man coming of a woman that is going to strike the head of the serpent. Is that making sense? Yeah. And then they're both going to die. Except we know our story. Our God doesn't remain dead, does he? Right? Isn't that good, good news? It's because he's the one who created life. And so he willingly laid down his life knowing that he's going to raise it up again. Right? So there's hope already in Genesis 3.15. So the reason why this verse is so important, very important, is that... I should write Genesis here. I can say something. Um, the reason why that's so important is because without that hope, I don't think you can interpret the rest of Genesis. <laughs> what? One Bible verse and you can't interpret the whole thing? It's like, yes, because that's why this is what actually makes the genealogies matter. You know those boring things you read and it's like, and somebody begot somebody and somebody begot somebody and somebody begot somebody. Well, that's important because of this, because there's going to be someone born of a woman, Right? And if someone born of the woman is going to bring hope to the world, you better pay attention. Right? And so when you read the story and you're looking for some man born of a woman that is going to crush the head of the serpent, you start paying attention to the genealogies and you think to yourself, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one that's going to bring hope to the world. Maybe it is. We find out, though, because we know the story, 
that there's a lot of things, or a lot of things that take place, and every time we, our hopes come up, and then our hopes come down, we're like, that wasn't the one, and then we thought it maybe be Noah, and then still wasn't him, that like recreation of the whole earth, like kind of like a new garden scene takes place, and then Noah gets drunk, and we're like, it's not him, dang, like, Lord, like, when can I finish reading Genesis and figure out, like, the, the ending of the story? But the truth is, the story continues, and it continues, and it continues. I'm going to pause there for a second. That's what Lee talked about. Good job, Lee. Um, we're talking about the Word of God. Why in the world did we call it the Word of God? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? If we're going to talk about it, let's talk about what it is. I think it's essential that you know. And so another Bible verse for you to memorize. 2 Timothy 3.16 through 17. And it should say, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and the training of righteousness. So that the man of God may be equipped and complete for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. All of it is God-breathed. Have you heard of another holy book that claims that? Another book that says, hey, this, like, not, we don't just call it the word of God. Like, somebody didn't just pick it up and think to themselves, this is the word of God. But our book says it is. It is the word of God. Why? Because it's, it's God-breathed. It's breathed out by him. And it's useful for teaching. If it was false, would it be useful for teaching? No. That would be weird, right? It's like, well, let's go, let's go read a bunch of fiction stuff, and let's base our entire life on it. No. You don't do that. Reproof, correction, training in righteousness. How could you be righteous? By reading it. Learn the ways of righteousness, unless it was true. Right? Makes sense. Second Peter... 120. This one I don't have memorized verbatim. So let's look it up. I didn't print out all my verses today because I just wanted to flip through these pages with you. Just want you to know that. 1 Peter 120. No, no, 2 Peter 120. It says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Prophets spoke as they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Where does Scripture come from? God. Because God is the Holy Spirit. Right? Read Acts 5, verse 4 through 5. If you don't think the Holy Spirit is God, it says it right there. But the Holy Spirit is God. And when he speaks, he speaks to the prophets. Where are the prophets in the Old Testament? And when they speak, they speak things like, thus says the Lord. And when they speak, it's actually perfect and accurate and comes to pass. How do you know? Because we have the whole Bible. That talks about all the prophecies that come to pass. I would encourage you to memorize a bunch of things about like prophecies that actually took place. Because when you share your faith with people, and they're like, hey, like, why do you think that's real? It's like, well, have you heard of like, all the like, hundreds of prophecies that come to pass? And they're like, oh, no. It's like, well, let me share some of them with you. It's a good time. 
You can, we'll, we'll hold off on that. Um, Luke 24, 27. Let me write it down. We'll find it. Luke 24, 27. And then we're also going to do 24, 44 through like 45. Okay, y'all ready? And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Pause. What did we just learn about the prophets? When they spoke, they spoke by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, foolish ones, slow to hear of what the prophets have spoken. Why would that be important? Well, it's because they were speaking on behalf of God. Big deal. Really big deal. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Yes, it is, Lord. How would I know that? Because the prophets told me that it would take place, and they should have known that too. Right? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. All the prophets, beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, Jesus walks them through. So there's two guys, they're on the road to Emmaus, is what this whole story is about. Jesus shows up, he's walking with them. They're pretty perplexed about how Jesus of Nazareth dies on the cross. They're like, I can't believe that actually happened. We thought he was going to deliver us. And he doesn't. And then Jesus shows up but isn't identifying. He doesn't identify himself to them. And they're walking. And then all of a sudden, he starts revealing all of the scriptures of the Old Testament from Moses through the prophets, the best sermon ever preached, to them. That was referring to himself. What an incredible thing, Right? Did you know that you have that book right in front of you? Right? Then you get to go through from Moses through the prophets. That's what we're doing. That's what we get to do together. And figure out what it means, how to, how to read it, and how to point it to the one who saves us, the one that loves us. What a gift. Amazing. Okay. Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, now he's speaking to the apostles, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me... In the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. So not only is it just about him, but when Jesus comes, he fulfills them. He fulfills everything that was written in the law, in the Psalms, and in the prophets. And then there's some things that are still written that are going to take place later. Right? That hasn't happened yet. Which is part of the story. Just part of the story. All of the things written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Hebrews 4.12.
there already. You can read it out loud. Just be loud. Be bold. I'm still turning. All right, too late. <laughs> For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. My personal experience with this book is that as I've read it, it just continues to change me. And it should, right? If you, if you open it and you read it, then it, like, there should be something that takes place within you that, that you would obey it, right? But then become transformed into the image of his son through it. And so it's like, man, it's like, I can't, I can't get over it. And it is, it's alive and it's active. It's alive and it's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Some good Bible verses. Makes me happy inside. Some of the Psalms, maybe one of the Psalms that Jesus fulfilled. Y'all want to know about one of those? Yeah. Yeah. This, is like a, this is like a Snickers bar in the middle of the sermon right here. <laughs> Just like a sweet treat. <laughs> Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Y'all go there. Has anybody ever heard the verse, Today is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it? Yeah. Right? What day is he talking about? Just every day? You think? I had a seminary professor ask me, he was like, I bet you guys, you guys are all seminary students, this is what he says. He's like, y'all are seminary students, I bet you have a bunch of Bible verses memorized. He's like, start quoting Bible verses that you have memorized. And, I, and so people are quoting Bible verses, I'm like, today's the day the Lord has made, I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And he's like, what does it say in the verse above that? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> right? And so guess what I did? I went home, and I read all the verses above it, and I had my mind blown. Absolutely blown. Okay. So starting in verse 19, it says, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is a marvelous, or it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So what day is he actually talking about? Could, should you be thankful for every day? Yes. But what day is he talking about is maybe when the day that the Christ becomes the cornerstone. The one that the builders have rejected. Who are the builders? Israel. Why? Because they don't trust the prophets, the word of God, speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit. And they reject them. Right? Some interpretation there. I hope that you learned some Bible study methods today while we're learning. I'm saying ridiculous things like that on purpose, like good interpretation there, because we were doing interpretation now. Right? I'm not just talking about random facts. We were interpreting some random story. All right, Ephesians 2. We went to Psalm 118. 19 through 24. Ephesians 2. 19 through 21. 
I heard y'all went to the book of Ephesians. How'd you like it? Come on. It's one of my favorite books. One of my favorite books. All right. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, because my Lord has become the cornerstone. And he's made me not just some, some alien, but a fellow citizen in the household of God, and made me a dwelling place for his spirit. That's why I get to rejoice. <laughs> yeah, man. What a, what a gift. Is the Old Testament important to you yet? Yes. Yeah? I hope so. That's, the, that's why I did that. Over and over again, 855 times the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament, says Dr. Pentecost from Dallas Theological Seminary. 855 times. If it's quoted 855 times, do you think that it would be important that we would like, figure out what it says? And is it possible that if we figure out what the Old Testament says, that we could figure out what the New Testament means? Yeah. Right? And in fact, I don't think without understanding the Old Testament, you, I don't think you will be able to interpret the New Testament. One of my other professors said that there's nothing new in the New Testament. I think that's a slight exaggeration. There's nothing new in the New Testament. I'm like, well, there's some new stuff going on. Yet, yet, pretty impactful, right? Nothing new. Billy's a good catchphrase. Nothing new in the New Testament because there's 855 quotes of the Old Testament in the New. So that, that really lights my personal fire to just really want to understand it, dig into it, read it, read repetitively Bible study methods tools over and over and over and over and over again. One of the reasons why I have a lot of these verses memorized is because I write these down like a psycho. I write them down, I put them on dry erase boards, I walk into Chris's office, I write them down again, and then I go out to the streets, and then I talk to people about these verses who don't know Jesus, and then that really helps you memorize them. When you just go share, share about these things. The Word of God ones are really important because everyone wants to know if the Word of God is actually true or not, right? And so, and, and the Old Testament, what's the Old Testament, what's the New Testament, you've got to be able to explain that. It's helpful. Okay, now we can go back. To Genesis. Now that the Old Testament is important. It is important. It's been important. It's scary though, right? There's a lot of difficult things that, that happen within the Old Testament that are just hard for us to be able to interpret. Does anybody agree with me on that? It's not yes. like I've read it a few times. I'm like, oh, it's like, what is that? It's like, what do I do with that? It's like, well, when we know the story. And we know the promises that God makes. And we know what kind of literature it is, things like that. Like Genesis is a historical narrative that takes place. Historical narrative. 
And so we're reading this historical narrative because it actually took place, but it's also a story. Right? And so as we go through, what is Genesis written for? What is the purpose of the book of Genesis? I think it's exactly what Lee said. It's to show us who God is, to show us who we are, and that there's hope that's going to come. That's what Genesis is for. It doesn't really tell you a lot of scientific data. But it does tell you these three things. Right? Creation, fall, hope. Because that's what it's about. Right? And so when you go into a story and you try to find stuff that isn't there, you end up with really bad interpretations. And you get angry. Because that's not what it's about. Okay? So when we read different books of the Bible, we actually have to think about what kind of literature it is. It's important that we understand what kind of book of the Bible it is, maybe who wrote it, different things like that. Good questions to ask. So we're looking, before, before we get right into it, how long has the intro been? 30 minutes? Um, God's story, or God's plan of redemption, this is, this, is, this is a philosophical definition of the gospel. God's plan of redemption is to restore humanity back into right relationship with himself by delivering them from sin and death and one day making all things new. Delivering them, restoring them back into right relationship with himself by delivering them from sin and death and one day making all things new. So the gospel is incomplete until he makes all things new. You get to come along that process right now by putting your faith in him, trusting in him, and then you can be forgiven of your sins and you can be freed from dying. Does that make sense? That's what, that's what the Bible is. That's, that's like the full story from like, from like A to B. That's what it is. That's where you're going. If you had to tell somebody like, hey, what's the Bible about? It's like, this is what the Bible is about. God's plan of redemption for humanity to deliver them from sin and death and to, rest, and to restore them back into right, right relationship with himself and then one day making all things new. That's what he's doing. That's what the Bible is about. Can I tell you about that? Yep. Okay, that's A to B. Really important. That we know. And we're just taking a flash flood like this, like from the top down like a 40,000 foot view of all of these like big concepts and ideas of what the Bible is. We just talked about creation, like fall, hope. That's like, we can talk about those things. We can talk about every single one of those things individually for the next weeks, right? And yet I'm just trying to like glimpse over them because it's important that we get to see the entire picture of what God is doing right now. If you can conceptualize in your head like what God is doing from Genesis all the way to Revelation and understand his big story, then you can actually read the story. You can understand what's going on in the scriptures. But if you don't know the big picture first, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And so I hope you're encouraged by that idea. So one thing that I was really going to talk about today with Abraham, but we got stuck in the Word, on the Word, and what is the word? So we're going to talk about Abraham and the promise of Abraham. What is the promise of Abraham? He's going to be a blessed. He's going to be blessed to be a blessing to all the nations. This is Genesis twelve three. Genesis twelve 
three. He's going to be blessed to be a blessing. Who's he going to be a blessing to? Everyone. Everyone. He's blessed to be a blessing. He's going to be a blessing to everyone. Genesis 15, 6. One of the most important Bible verses. We'll read it. Maybe the verses above it, too. Genesis 15, we'll do... Starting at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to them, or said to him, You shall, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed. Abraham believed. He believed. What did he believe? He was going to have offspring. Why is that important? Because Genesis 3.15. Because through offspring, what's going to happen? Hope's going to come. And if you were to track all the way from Genesis 3.15 through Eve, through Noah, you'd find out that Noah is actually Abraham's like great-great-grandpa. So what does that mean? Hope comes through Abraham. And then it comes through... Isaac, and then it comes through Jacob, and then it goes through, and it gets a little messy after they get in slavery in Egypt, but we know that there's Hebrews there, we know that there's Israelites there, and we know that hope's going to come from them, and if that's true, then all the Hebrews and all the Israelites can't die in Egypt, because God's word never returns void, and he made a promise in Genesis 3.15 that hope is going to come, therefore, hope's still coming. So even at the end of Genesis, you get to the end and you say, you're like, oh, well, what happened? The story's not over. There's still something else that's got to take place. And that means that hope has still got to come. Hope's still got to come. We could talk about that for a long time. Um, I want to read to you another Snickers bar kind of thing. A sweet treat to go with this. And then next week, we'll probably pick up in the law. How much longer do we normally have here? Okay, well, we'll keep going. Is everybody okay with that? Okay. So Abraham. Abraham believed it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed that he was going to have offspring. He was going to be blessed to be a blessing. And everyone was going to be blessed because of the family. And that family would be Israel, right? His chosen nation. And God was with them, and they were supposed to go to a particular land. That was the other thing that I didn't write down yet. Land was part of this. And this land, God would use to bless the nations. And so Abraham was going somewhere. He actually had a purpose. God told him to do something, and he was going. And so for just a Bible study idea, when Lot decides to go to Sodom instead of Canaan, 
Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. Why? Because God told Abraham to go to Canaan. And so when Lot goes to Sodom, he's being disobedient. He should have followed his friend, his cousin. It's like, go, no, go with Abraham. You should read that and be like, what are you doing? Like, the promise is Canaan. Take the land of the Canaanites, and you're going over to Sodom. Why? Because you have too many goats? Like, don't do that. It's a terrible mistake, right? And then it is a terrible mistake because you end up, you see what happens. He ends up with a faithless people who are terrible sinners, and a whole bunch of terrible things happen, right? Why? Because Lot didn't believe the promise. Abraham had faith, and he believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. God, by his mercy, saves Lot. Whoa. If you want more information on that, read 2 Peter. Peter explains that whole story in the New Testament about the Old Testament. Okay. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we're looking for the seed of the woman that will one day crush the head of the serpent, and it's going through, and it's going through. And it's going through. It's not Abraham. And he has to have a miraculous son. Because if he doesn't have a son, guess what happens? No hope. So he's got to have a son. And so when Abraham takes his son Isaac and he puts him on the altar to sacrifice him, if you know the hope that's to come, you know that he actually is going to live. It's like you already know the ending of the story before you know. It's like you watch a movie that you know the end. You're like, oh, it's like I know what's going to take place. It's like Isaac couldn't die. And if he did die somehow, God would have raised him from the dead. Why? Genesis 3.15. You've got to have hope. you got to have hope. So God brings hope. And then Isaac takes place, and then Jacob takes place, and then Joseph, all the way through, we're looking and waiting for these generations. Right? That makes the, that makes the genealogy in Matthew 1 beautiful. Beautiful. I think I'm going to read it to you. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We can close it right there. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. What? How? Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, a prostitute, and Boaz the father of Obed, and Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. the whole Old Testament. If you've read the Old Testament, this gets you pumped. You're like, are you kidding me? Like, all the stories like make sense together? Like, this is not a, like a fiction book, but it's real? Like, these are real people? People were born to these people and Jesus, like, he came from them? And you know what? Like, people knew about it, like, hundreds of years before it was going to take place? Like, how is that even possible? It's because God is amazing. That's it. He gave us his word. And you 
get to read it. You get to study it and you get to know him through it for the rest of your days, the rest of your life. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Lord, for free Bibles at Wood's Edge. Look at these things. I have, I have not paid for a Bible in years. Y'all can read the rest of the genealogy. I'll just freak out. It's going to lose it. It's going to lose it. When you go through the rest of Genesis and you're seeing what's going to take place, what he's going to do is he's going to tell Isaac that he has the same job as Abraham. And he's going to fulfill the promise that's going to t- that didn't take place through Abraham. Why? Because Abraham died. And then Jacob... He's going to fulfill what his father, Isaac, couldn't do. And he's going to have land. And he's going to have offspring. As many as the stars of the sky and as many as the sand in the sea. Over and over and over again, God continues to hold up his promises. Right? Really good. Really good. Let's see if we can get to the Snickers bar. Okay. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 3. One through nine. And this is this is gonna be in, in conclusion tonight, okay guys? Showing you a lot of scriptures. I, I hope that the Old Testament has become really important to you. And wherever you are today, man, just start reading. Start reading the Bible. When you don't understand it, read the Bible. When it's hard, read it. Read it again. And read it again. Write it down. Talk to somebody about it. Phone a friend. Just read it over and over and over and over and over again. And let it and and ask God to help you. It says if you lack wisdom, then ask a friend. Lack wisdom that before we go into Galatians, I was I was praying today with my beloved bride Michelle. And when I was praying, I was I was picturing like, the Lord showed me a picture of you guys and me up here talking about the Old Testament and, and, his, and his word. And, and all I could see was like a picture of a chair and Jesus was just sitting on it. And he was sitting there. And I was just amazed. And I was thinking about him and how wonderful he is. But that's my God. That's the God of the Bible. The God of the Old Testament. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's my God and he's your God and he's the only God. And he was sitting there and because of who he is, because he's so lovely and kind, I got to ask him questions. I was like, Lord, what does that mean? What about what about Galatians 3, 1 through 9? What does that mean? What could it possibly mean? What about, what about Genesis 15, verse 6, Lord? What does that mean? Will you tell me? Will you help me understand it? Who thinks he told me no? That's not my God. He loves me. He loves you. If you read Galatians, Paul actually says, he says, the one who loves me, he's the one that died. Very singular. Not plural, he's not talking about the sins of the world there. He's like, yeah, the one who loves me is the one that I love that about Paul and Galatians. You get to say that about yourself. 
He's the one that died for me. He loves me. Jesus loves us enough to teach us about him. And he's with us. He's willing. If you could picture him sitting here right now with your Bibles open, what would you ask? What story do you want to know? It's going to be a fun day. It says, it says that we now see in a mirror dimly, but one day we will see, see him face to face, and we will know as we have been known. How well are you known by God? Perfectly. He created you. One day when you get to heaven, all your questions will be answered. All of them. Luckily, he wants to teach us things now. It's good. Holy Spirit's with us, giving us discernment, teaching us, guiding us, leading us. The Lord loves to teach us, especially if we ask him. He's, he's in these. And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. John 3, 14. The word of God became flesh. Galatians 3, 19. Galatians 3, 1 through 9. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along those with the man of faith. By faith, we get to become sons of Abraham. You can say daughters if you want. Sons and daughters of Abraham. Praise the Lord. Abraham was made righteous by faith before the law. Even before circumcision took place, if you want to be exact. And so everything that took place was that he was made righteous by was by nothing other than him believing and trusting in what God was going to do. What did he trust that God was going to do? He, he trusted that he was going to be a, blessed to be a blessing, that he was going to have offspring, and that he was going to go to a land. That's it. That's what he trusted God. And he probably believed that there was hope that was to come. Right? But he had faith in God. It says that Abraham trusted God, he had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness in the very next verse. You know what it says? He went. He started walking. Where? Canaan. Does he make mistakes? Yes. He goes to Egypt. He shouldn't have done that. He should have trusted the Lord. You know what's really incredible about Abraham is although, although Abraham makes mistakes, God's 
promise still comes to pass, doesn't it? Isn't that great? What does that mean for us? I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect. Not a single perfect person in the Bible, which makes it even more true, right? If it was just a book full of perfect people, it's like now we know that someone else wrote it. But the Holy Spirit writes it about people who are broken, and God wants to use broken people like me and you to fulfill his promises, right? Man, that's good stuff. And Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. What do you need to do? Are you still working for your faith, for your salvation, trying to do good things to get into the kingdom? Is that what Abraham did? No. Paul says, he's like, who has so easily bewitched you that you think that you could work for something that you could never work, that you could never earn? Quit working and trust in the finished work and what Jesus has already done. If you could work for your salvation, then Jesus didn't have to die. We're going back there again, right? If he could somehow make it, and, and he, they, the law was already in place. We didn't get to talk about the law, which is like my favorite thing. But if, the, if anyone was going to be righteous, it was going to be the Apostle Paul. And he was following the law by every single line, all 613 commandments. And he was zealous to practice every single one. And guess what? He fell short. Just like us. And we're not even following the law before we know Jesus. And we're just out doing whatever we want to do. Hurting people, hurting ourselves. You can't work for your salvation. How do you know? Genesis 15, verse 6. And when Abraham believed, it was accounted to him as righteousness. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Guys, I... There's nothing more that I want for you today than to just believe in Jesus, to know him. As you can tell, I'm pretty excited about his word and understanding his word and all those different things. But that's only because I want to know him. That's only because I actually want to share what I know with other people. Because that's what he's called me to do. When, when it says that Abraham went, it was like, well, I was made righteous not for nothing. Jesus made me righteous so that I could be a blessing to other people, right? It says that I'm an ambassador for the kingdom. Y'all took a blessed class. I was here. I'm an ambassador with a ministry, and I have a message to preach. What is that message? The gospel. Same gospel that Abraham believed. That by faith, you will become sons of Abraham. That Jesus is going to fulfill all the Psalms, all the Proverbs, all of the prophets, all of the law. Jesus is going to come. He's going to fulfill it. And when he fulfills it, he can make all things new and he can give you rest. True rest. A rest that lasts for eternity. That's the message. The gospel. Jesus dies. Why? For the sins of the world. Not because you have to, guys. 
if I could play a video, I'd play a video of Chinese, Chinese people that are in persecution that can't have Bibles. And they get one. They've been praying for their whole lives and they finally get one. And they start crying. Everyone's crying. Why? The Word of God, finally they got one. They've only heard about it up until now. Maybe there's 50 of them in the room, one Bible, somebody starts reading parts of it, and then just so that way they could have some of it, and one person isn't caught with the whole thing, they just start ripping out pages and handing it to their whole family. It's like, hey, you take a little bit of Isaiah. You can have, you take Leviticus. Crime. Because they have the Word of God. And we have free Bibles everywhere. Free Bibles everywhere. You can carry it in your backpack. You can carry it on your phone. You can talk about it in the streets. Doesn't matter. What a gift that the Lord has given us. Remember that the Word of God, when you read the Word of God, is only to know Jesus. That's it. You don't exist for anything else. Know Him. Love Him. So, I hope you learned something today. And I hope your hunger and your desire for God's Word and pursuing Him has just been elevated. Run after Him with all that you are. He, he, will, he will make your path straight, right? It says, how will a young man make his path pure? He will hide the Word within his heart. That's what it says. Psalm 119, verse 11. Hide His Word. Hide his word in your heart. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. I thank you for the proof in your word that it is actually your word. How amazing is that? That you don't leave us with no answers. And even by your spirit, you desire to teach us about you. God, I pray that every person that is here, Lord, that they wake up in the morning and they just picture you sitting across the table from them. That they have a cup of coffee in their hand, they have a Bible in front of them, and you are sitting there excited to talk to them about what happened in Genesis, what happened in Leviticus, what happened in Deuteronomy, what happened in Numbers. Because you're there, Lord. And it's your story, it's your plan of redemption to see your people saved from sin and death and enter into right relationship with you. God, I pray that if there's someone who hasn't decided to trust you to be delivered from their sin by your blood, Lord, I pray that they would trust you. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's it. You don't have to pray with me. It's a relationship that you get to have with God. He made you. And if you're in this room and you've been working for your salvation your whole life, and you're still working today, you're not sure, rest. Find rest in Jesus. He finished the work for you. Was Jesus perfect? Lord, you are perfect. And if you're perfect, then you can make a perfect sacrifice for sins. You made a perfect sacrifice for mine. It says that my sins have been separated from me as far as the east is from the west. And so has anybody else that has trusted in you in this room. 
Behold, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Lord, I pray that that becomes a reality in every single mind, every single heart, every single soul. Not just, not just an idea, not just church unity, but a changed life from this day forward, I pray. Because they encountered you, they met you. Lord, let them not be deceived by the devil and his schemes. I pray that by your spirit, you would teach them your word, and then that by them knowing your truth, they would be able to withstand the wicked wiles of the devil. Fight with the sword. God, I pray that you would give them a desire to fight with the sword. Defend the faith. Defend the faith, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.